Cape Talk, New Beginnings. Now, my guest in studio today is someone who survived an incredibly traumatic event and who had to make a new beginning of his own as he adapted to life following very serious injuries. But that is not the only new beginning to this story because he has gone on to spend the ensuing years sharing the lessons he learned from that experience that he learned about himself in the hopes of creating new beginnings and a more harmonious society for everybody else. It's such a pleasure to welcome in studio author, teacher, coach and inspirational speaker, Glenn Douglas Hay. Great to have you with us. Thanks very much, Papa. It's great to be here. Now, your particular story uh, of the new beginning really starts in 2003 when you were very, very badly injured during an armed robbery at your home. Uh, You were celebrating your first night in a brand new home is that right that's exactly right talk to us about what happened that evening well um you know it sounds a little bit scary to say that it it wasn't really as traumatic at the time as it was afterwards mm. so it it unfolded quite pleasantly we were having dinner about ten thirty at night we just finished um takeaways because there was no kitchen yet <laughs> and um the next thing we just saw three people standing in the doorway um with hats and guns um telling us to sleep to lie down mm. and it just so happens that we had been held up by the same people six weeks before in a different house no. and they recognized us so they panicked and they, they were speaking Portuguese I didn't realize they were Mozambican but they were speaking Portuguese and I understood them say they know who we are we have to kill them and as the first bullet went off and hit the concrete behind my friend Jilly's head I realized they actually are going to kill us so yeah I just I just jumped out of my chair and thought my first thought was I need to protect these two friends of mine because they have kids. The kids weren't there, thank goodness. goodness. Yeah. So that was went through my mind was just protect them. They must, they're my friends, they're in my home. And I remember standing up and just going, oh, no, not you lot again. I actually said that you out actually loud. Said that. And then, then they started shooting. And I just knew that I had to get the gun away from the middle guy. But I didn't realize the other two also had guns. So I ended up getting shot seven times through my stomach and legs. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I mean, they always say that the, that fight or flight response kicked in. Clearly, in your case, the fight uh, kicked in. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I mean, your sense of responsibility towards your friends was incredible. I mean, you were single at this point. You didn't have children of your own. Yeah, there are not really many have... people who would be brave enough to, to stand up and say, well, I've got to look after them. You know what, Papa? I don't think I had too much to do with it, to be mm-hmm. honest. I just felt like I was in this place of complete serenity and clarity. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a bit of a... I suppose an out-of-body experience, for want of a better word, because I was very calm. I also had a very clear idea that this is how I was going to die. And I remember going, well, thank goodness I don't have any um, enemies or, you know, loose ends to tie up. I'm actually can, it's going to be fine, you know. That's uh, that's incredible. And and, uh, I believe you bumped into the paramedic who attended you on the scene (laughs) uh, sometime afterwards. And he literally burst into tears because he couldn't believe that you were actually alive. Yeah, well, he was the one who told me that I died in the first place because I didn't know. I thought it was a dream, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember being in the back of the ambulance. And on the way up the road, just thinking, oh, why do I live on a dirt road? It's so damn sore going over all these oh, bumps. bumps. And then at some point, I, I remember him saying, we're losing him, we're losing him. And then I floated up above myself and I had the full on watching myself, watching these guys try to revive me and looking out and seeing Joburg and floating up. And I, I thought this was all a dream. I never told anybody about it. Sure. And then nine months to the day after I got out of hospital, or after I was shot, I bumped into the paramedic and he told me the story. Absolutely incredible. Now, shot seven times in the stomach and legs. You, you found yourself in, in ICU for several days. You were unconscious for a lot of that time. What, what was the first thing you were aware of when you, you woke up? Well, this part makes me a little emotional because my mom had been sitting with me tirelessly, whispering into my unconsciousness, 
Don't we get a fright when you wake up, you've only got one leg. Don't we get a fright when you wake up, you've only got one leg. So as I sort of emerged from, it feels like you're coming through clouds back into consciousness. The first thing I did was put my hands on my legs and, and run them down to see what was the story. And then suddenly the, my right leg, my right hand just went, oh, it ended just before my knee. Mm. And that was quite a shock. But the emotion came less from having one leg and more from from a mother who did that mm. for me. Yeah. yeah. What an amazing story. So, okay, we, to regroup, uh, if you've just joined us, Glenn Douglas Haig is my guest in, story t- in studio today. Glenn has been describing for us the night in 2003 when he was shot seven times in his stomach and his leg uh, during an armed robbery at his home. One of his legs had to be amputated as a result of those injuries. And as incredible as the story of your survival alone is, Glenn, what, what I find even more incredible is your response afterwards when three months later you found yourself face-to-face with the men who had shot you. How yes. did that happen? I, you know, that was, that was the, one of the biggest surprises and probably the strongest turning point in my life because the, the police had been obviously looking for these guys for a long time and they were linked to a much bigger gang, etc. Et but on one, uh, one occasion they said, please come to the West Dean police station. They've got a one-way glass set up there and I could go and identify my attackers. And so I was still on my sticks then. I didn't have a leg yet. And the police were... I've never met such warm, burly, hmm. like male versions of Mama Africa, if you can imagine <laughs> that. These guys were so, so supportive of, of me and so determined to get, bring these guys to book. So they, they put me on one side of the glass and I looked at everyone and it suddenly dawned on me that this is a massive responsibility. If you're going to point your finger and say, you shot me, you have hmm. to be damn sure that that is the person who shot you. So I looked at, across, I glanced, glimpsed at everyone, and I saw a couple of people I recognized. And then I decided, no, I need to look into their eyes. I need to see these people. And when I went down the road, there were about nine people lined up. Um, I saw what I can only imagine must be what it is like to live in hell in human form because there was a total absence of light and love. I just saw darkness and emptiness in these people's eyes. And... It was such a blow to me. And the next thing, instead of feeling angry or, or scared, I just felt this incredible sense of deep compassion and love for these poor people who, who just didn't have any light or any love in their lives. And it hit me like a train. I, I just realized, wow, we take it so for granted that we are brought up in relatively loving families or with a little bit of an idea of who we are and that we are important in the world. And then I got some distinct flashbacks of them as kids being loaded into the back of a truck in the middle of the night after being forced to shoot their own parents. And it turns out that they were, they were actually child soldiers in Mozambique from those days. So it was a bit of a, yeah, it was a, at a very mixed up moment for me. But I was overwhelmed with love and I started crying. And um, the policeman, bless his heart, thought I was being upset by seeing the guys. And mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell anybody that all I wanted to do was walk in there and just give them a hug, you know. How did they respond? Well, I didn't see them. Okay, of course, they couldn't so, yeah, see you through they, the glass. Yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they were the sort of... And, and I never had anything to do with them again. But that moment but that, was whoa. a fundamental point of shift yeah, in your life. Because I didn't understand... Well, I mean, I didn't expect to feel that. Mm. And so w- with, this, with this deep and profound compassion that I had for these people, uh, I just wanted to let them know that there's enough love for everyone. Cape Talk. New Beginnings. 
We're back with my guest, Glenn Douglas Haig, who before the break was describing to us the attempted robbery, which almost claimed his life, uh, shot seven times. It did uh, cost him a leg, which had to be amputated. And describing for us the moment that he came face to face with the perpetrators of that robbery. And instead of feeling, I think, what most people would expect to feel, anger, perhaps hatred, Mm -hmm. um, maybe fear, you were overwhelmed with compassion and with love and with a sense of what these men's lives must have been like and what they must have been deprived of. Glenn, the the crucial thing is what you then did with that feeling and that that unexpected sense of compassion. How has it changed the way you live your life and what changed from that day? The very first thing I realized is that um, the deeper truth of who we are and what we are able to do in this world is so much greater than what we even can conceive if we just approach with our little logic, everyday thinking minds. Clearly, I had some kind of deep, special, I don't know, experience that showed me a few things. And I realized that we're really, most people are really just chasing, we're all looking for the same thing, but we're looking in the wrong places. So this sense of, of, of compassion that welled up inside of me also made me realize that we, um, we actually are in the, in the, arms of a greater force, a force of love, intelligence, the universe, God, whatever you'd like to call it. And that the the, the closer we can align to that deeper truth, the more meaningful our lives will be. So it struck me deeply that my purpose on this earth is to remind people that at our core we are love. Despite all the nonsense and wounds and fear that that gets entangled in it, um, ultimately that's who we are. And so if we can free ourselves from the negative perceptions of self and others and this feeling of being powerless, Mm. then we can can step into the joy and the beauty and the abundance and the energy and the connectedness that, that is our birthright, actually. It's, I mean, it, it couldn't be, I think, more topical an issue than right now in South Africa when we are, as a nation, grappling with, with the sense, often, of powerlessness, with a loss of our feeling of connection to one another, uh, with that, that sense of othering, of, of, of pushing away what seems strange. Do you yeah. think it's a message that almost the entire country needs to hear at this time? Well, I think there's a very good reason why I have not really come out into public too much with this story because the timing wasn't right. I wasn't internally prepared yet. I've, and I've devoted the last 14 years of my life to personal development studies, um, ancient wisdom texts, a lot of um, transformational psychology, etc. And, of course, the coaching as well. It helped ground that. But... I realize that the reason this is only I'm sort of really being exposed now is because the time is right. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever one of my questions was, why would someone kill someone? That was really the that struck for me. Why would someone actually kill somebody else or hate someone enough or whatever it is to kill them? And I realized that actually it's only a sense of powerlessness. It is. It's a if we can claim our own personal power back in its authenticity without trying to grasp at control or making other people feel worse so we can feel better, mm. that's when things will shift. So, yes, I think not just our country, but if you look at the world in general, we've just had that terrible shooting in Orlando. We've had this, the rise of, of Donald Trump as a president-elect in America. Mm. There's like weird things going on. But I think it's all an indication that the humanity is in a lot of pain, to be honest. Mm. And I think that pain comes from a sense of separation and, as you say, this othering, us and them, making that which is different bad. Mm instead of seeing the truth in it and embracing everything in ourselves. And, of course, the very simple tr- um, solution to that, I mean, it's simple, but it's not easy, is to learn to love and accept every single bit of ourselves 
because that's the only way we will connect with the other. Mm. I will only judge you as being bad if I'm at war with something inside, inside of myself. myself. Yeah, that inner conflict I know yeah. is the theme that you work with through your yeah. coaching and then helping others to see that. I mean, what, what what can be done for a Donald Trump? I mean, you you look there at somebody. I mean, I mentioned at the start of the show. That his response to what happened in Orlando is a kind of a tweet gloating about, see, I was right, we do need to take a harder line. Uh, the, <clears throat> for me, that's what scares me in that is that just the total absence of empathy, of just his, uh, just lack of, of awareness of, of how that must make the people who are waiting to hear if it's their loved ones lying yeah. on the floor of that club yeah. must feel. Is somebody like that, surely somebody like that is, is, is too far gone to ever be able to find the kind of well of, of love that you're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I think he just suffers from an incredible lack of self-awareness. Mm. That would be my bottom line answer to anybody, any leader or political leader or person of influence is out there um, trying to attack and defend is, is, is asleep. I, I just mm-hmm. say they're still asleep. We have to have complete compassion for them. They will wake up in their own good time, but sadly, it might not be our job to wake them up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and who knows when they're going to be ready for that. Mm. So this is where, where the word faith comes in. Yeah. We just have to keep going. <laughs> Bait fuss, you know. <laughs> and I know you, you apply this concept to the workplace as well, yeah. don't you? Yes. You do a lot of business yes. coaching along similar lines. Well, very much so. You know, I, I address something called the four, war, the four wars. Um, which is, in, to my mind, the only reason why any sort of disharmony or conflict might appear, whether it's in a family or a work or even a political situation. And the, fir- the, first, the first of the four wars is in the mind, which, which starts with judgment. And usually judgment is based in fear. It's just part of our n- makeup. Um, our reptilian brain is designed, as you said, to mm-hmm. fight or, f- or, you know, fight or flee. So that judgment, if this thing is a threat or if it's bad, there's a judgment that stems in the mind. That then gets transferred to the self, the war with the self. Once I see, oh, that is bad, when I start having those feelings or I start displaying some things and I say, oh, I am bad, mm. then after a while we get a bit tired of calling ourselves bad. So now then it becomes the war with the other, the third war. Now it's your fault. Now you're making me feel bad. And now you represent everything that I'm at war with. And then finally, the fourth war is the war with reality or God, saying the world is bad, the country is bad, this workplace sucks, mm. you know, <laughs> because it's, it's all stemmed from a judgment in the mind. So those four steps from the internal where your judgments starts in the mind to the self to the other and then to the workplace or to reality is actually very simple to address but people make things a lot more complicated than they need to mm-hmm. be so the good news is the only place we really need to work is with the mind where does that initial judgment stem from and how can we how can we um, neutralize it to make it an equal to place can you neutralize that judgment in somebody who for example has been raised thinking a certain way i'm, I'm thinking now of uh, the Brock Turner rape case in the States and the statement that came out from his father, which said so much about where the son's attitudes towards women had come from. So Mm. there is a boy who was raised probably through the lens of his father's eyes and his way of looking at women, Mm. whose work in the mind has been laid down since birth. Is it possible to to change that? Well, I mean, look, personally, the short answer is yes. It is possible because I've seen incredible changes of people who've been very, let's just call it stuck in their previous way of thinking. But it's not just something that happens in the mind. You've got your body's got to go along with the ride. There's a lovely mm-hmm. lady by the name of Dr. Candace Pert who wrote a book, Molecules of Emotion, and she eventually proved that your body is your subconscious mind, which is her latest book. And um, she looks at neuropeptides and endorphins and serotonins. And she, she basically 
has scientifically, scientifically come to the party to prove that what sort of metaphysicians have known for a while, that our, our bodies contain these old memories and patterns. So if we can shift that memory in the body or in the subconscious, then it tends to roll out. However, it starts with self-awareness. So I would have to spend about two or three hours with someone showing them a few physical truths about their, their bodies being wise and then letting them discover. You see, the thing is, the trick here is not to try and tell anyone else what to think. You just show them the deeper truth and then let them realize for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why it's possible, because it's true. <laughs> it's hmm. the truth. That's all I'm really interested in. It's striking a chord with some of our listeners. Glenn's just tweeted to say that you've chosen to make your awful ordeal a positive in your life. And Glenn wants to say, well done, uh, from Glenn Glenn Douglas Runnels. And then on the SMS line, just a few people saying, what a great guest. It's so inspiring listening to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the feedback. It's nice for the guest as well as for me to receive those SMSs. Um, Before we run out of time, I, I, I want to ask how you feel today about those men who shot you. So you said you saw them through that glass. You had that moment of realization of, of compassion and love, and you never saw them again. Do you still think about them? Do you, have you forgiven them for what they did? How, how do you feel about them today? I don't think, yeah, I don't think forgiveness even came into the issue. That, that moment when I saw them through the glass and I had deeper understanding, I realized that, of course, as anything bad that happens, there's a reason for this. And so, to be frank, my father doesn't really like me saying this, when I do think of them, I'm in such deep gratitude that they decided to to be to to forget who they were enough to do what they did because of what it has meant because to of your what life. it's done to me and how it's galvanized my truth. You know, there's nothing there's nothing better than pain to burn off what is not true. And as an amputee for 14 years, I suffer from incredible phantom pain. So every now and again, for 12 hours, I will experience being shot again through my leg every two minutes as if another bullet's going through me and it lasts for between four and 12 hours. And during those, pi- those moments, I literally scream into a pillow so that I don't wake the neighbors. And that is when truth comes to me. That is when I see what is real in the world. And it, and it, it empowers me. It, it makes me stronger and clearer. Yeah, mm. thank you. <laughs> Gratitude, I've got to say, is not the, not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> Alison has SMS to say, what a remarkably inspiring man. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. Somebody else uh, saying, I totally agree with your guest, uh, Ray, the situation we find ourselves in now, but I disagree with him about the cause that he put forward. I believe our problem today stems from globalization, the melting pot really starting to boil and identity being diminished. How do you respond to that? I think I have to agree with that entirely. And I think identity being diminished goes hand in hand with feeling powerless. That is really what's happening. And of course, you see, every, in the doing world where everyone is busy trying to fix things physically, it's a bit like putting a plaster on a broken leg. We need to actually go into the really deeper truth of it. And it's not always palatable for radio audiences <laughs> either because it seems to be a little bit of a dreamer's kind of world. But actually, it's not. After the last 14 years, I've seen that's the only truth to healing and peace is to eliminate those four wars and to stop the judgment inside the self. Because if you can see the world with all its pain and just go, I honor it. We are where we're supposed to be. We need to ride this through. We're all going to have a lot more energy to get on focusing on solutions rather than looking at the problems. Glenn, I'm sure there are listeners who'd like to know more and read more of your story. Won't you remind me of your website that we can direct them to for more on it? Um, they can go to www.gdh.za.com, but it's quite easy. I've just put something on my Facebook page, Glenn Douglas Haig, and you can just click follow, and there'll be all sorts of lovely info things around. Some monthly meetings that I do um, on a Monday, first Monday of every month that we just get together and, yeah, explore these topics and 
heal together and share and progress and yeah, have fun doing it. Well, thanks great. for sharing with us today. It's been great having you in studio. Thanks very much, Papa. Glenn Douglas Haig. We'll share the links to uh, that Facebook profile on our various uh, platforms after the show today.